Welcome to the Shine Bright Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Castell. My hope is that this podcast will be a place to encourage women to shine their lights brightly and authentically by unapologetically being who God called us to be. You can expect to hear me talk about things like Jesus, how ghetto adulting is, finances, dating, therapy, and honestly, everything in between. My prayer is that each episode you will walk away feeling encouraged, inspired, and seen. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, hey, welcome to this week's episode of the Shine Bright Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Castell. First, let me say to those of you that listen on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, I have no idea why last week's episode was delayed and being posted. I posted it at my usual time, 6 a.m. on Wednesday, and for whatever reason, it showed up on Spotify and Anchor, but it didn't show up on Apple and Google Podcasts until, I think, Saturday morning. Hopefully that doesn't happen again this week, but make sure you're following the podcast Instagram at Podcast, just in case anything like this tries to ever happen again in the future, because that's where I'll be posting all weekly updates and information about the podcast. Also, thank you to those of you that have rated the podcast. For those of you that have not, if you enjoy the podcast, please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're listening so more people can find us. Thanks. Okay, so last week we talked a lot about love languages, which um, I got a lot of great responses from you guys. And me being a single person, I feel like I talk a fair amount about singleness. So this week I actually decided to invite my friend, the wonderful Tiana, to the podcast for several reasons. So Tiana actually got married to her college sweetheart, Naeem, right before Rona shut everything down in February of this year. So not only has Tiana been a newlywed during the corona pandemic, but she's also a Black woman who is married to a Black man who just so happens to be a cop. And with everything going on right now with this fight against police brutality and systemic racism, I thought Tiana would be a great guest to have. But before we jump in, Tiana is not only on this podcast because she's one of my best friends, but Tiana is so qualified for this conversation for many other reasons. Tiana um, has an MFA, which is a master's in fine arts with a focus in creative writing and poetry from Temple. She just graduated this year. She is a class of 2020 graduate. So congrats, boo. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. She's also an amazing poet herself. She does not hype herself up, but honestly, like hearing Tiana spit and whenever she does her poetry I am just such a fangirl of her and her poetry her writing she is amazing um she has affinity for black poetry black poets and honestly all things black <laughs> so you can find her on instagram at philos tiana that's p-h-i-l-o-s tiana so welcome to the shine bright podcast t <laughs> hey thanks <laughs> did so I do your... By your introduction it's so cute thank you I was you. gonna say did I do your intro justice yeah, too much justice. I'm like, whoa, I sound great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tiana, so I am so excited to have our conversation today. I told you I was like preparing and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome. Um, How is your heart, sis? You know that my favorite question to ask myself and my guests, because you listen to the podcast because you're an amazing friend. But ask in real life. So. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Thank you. This is one of my real life questions, you guys. But my que- my favorite question is, how is your heart? Because, you know, I don't think that people ask that question enough. And I think that people don't think about answering that question enough. So, you know, I'll tell you, there's been times where I have not wanted to answer this question on the podcast because I wasn't sure how transparent I wanted to be, because this question really forces you to 
I mean, you can't give the BS answer of like, oh yeah, how are you doing? Okay, I'm good. Da, da, da. Like, no, how is your heart is like, okay, let's get to the core of this. So I'm glad I have this segment in the podcast because I do feel like it forces myself to be transparent. So I'm going to ask you to be a little transparent friend and, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, being a newlywed, being the wife of a black man, also a cop, and I'm sure there's so much else that you're just processing right now. Um, How is your heart, friend? Well, um, since you put it that way, um, I still don't really know how my heart feels today. Like, I woke up and I was like, wow, it's beautiful outside. My plants are growing, you know, it's like barely clean in here, but um, I still kind of felt like blah, like kind of heavy. So I don't really know how to describe it. So I'm not really sure how my heart feels today. It's not, um, I'm not particularly happy, but I'm not particularly sad about anything. Um, I just kind of feel indifferent, but um, I've been around um, some family and friends um, like the past couple days, some family and some friends. Um, so that's been nice to like be comforted. And, you know, my love bucket is always full when I get to talk to you and all my girls. So um, my heart is kind of indifferent right now, I guess. Is that an answer? No, it absolutely is an answer. Last week on last week's episode, I didn't really have an answer. And I think that's okay. Like, I think especially in the social media time where people are either one or the other, right? You either see the people that are like, life is great. I'm getting engaged. I have kids and whatever. Or you have the people that are like, you know, emo and like, you know, things are horrible right now. And I feel like there's not a lot of normalcy around like, I don't know how I am. Like you said, like nothing's particularly making me super happy or nothing's particularly making me super sad. So I think that's definitely fine. That's an answer. Um, if I had to answer the question for this week, and it's so funny because like I try not to plan out my answer before I do it because I want it to be natural, but then sometimes I'm like, dang, uh, how is my heart? <laughs> so I will say like you, I've spent time with family members um, this weekend as well. So like you said, my love bucket is always full when I'm around family. So that's been nice. But I also think I have, with all of this quiet time, all this alone time, I've been just tapping into so many different areas of my life that you just don't have the quiet time to unpack, I guess. And so this week, after one of my therapy sessions, I was talking to my therapist and I was just really unpacking discontentment. Mm -hmm. And I think this season has exposed a lot of areas where I have been discontent, but I've been like, you know, when you're busy and you're not sitting and thinking about like, oh, wow, this one area is like something that past it and like you're okay with it like just move along move along move along and you don't have to like sit in those feelings but right now it's just like feelings all day right <laughs> like really morning time feelings afternoon feelings what are we having for dinner feelings <laughs> and ex- I mean exactly like and so I think I've been like unpacking some of that and I don't have like fully formed thoughts around it because this is like I mean this was on Thursday and I'm like wow hmm, let me journal about this so I think I am going through this journey of understanding the areas where I feel discontent and like honestly having to surrender them to God. And I listened to this great podcast called Let's Talk About It, which is three um, of my favorite, well, two of them are my favorite Christian writers. Um, One's Jackie Hill Perry and another is Jasmine Holmes. And they talk about discontentment. And one of the exercises was to write down all the times in your life where you've been discontent and you feel like God has come through. So I went back to like, like college, like, you know, when you're like freaking out senior, you're like about getting a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the, the 
um, the exercise was like, okay, now write about all the times where you were discontent and then God came through. And so that exercise in itself, like, cause it's so easy when you're stuck in a season of like, nothing is happening or nothing's going the right way. Or this one thing that I want to change is not happening. And actually sitting down and writing, I was like, wow, God, like you've come through in a lot of areas, a lot of small things that I've forgotten about. Like, I remember, this is going to sound so trivial, but do you remember, you came to visit me when I was at Miss Dora's house, right? And yeah, yeah. So I, so for those of you guys that are listening, so when I first moved out of college, right? Yeah, that's it. Moved out of college, graduated from college and moved out on my own. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) I was living, so I didn't, I couldn't afford to live on my own because rent in New Jersey is just so high. So I was living with someone who like an older lady who let me rent a room out of her house and she was wonderful. And I had my own private bathroom and my bedroom. It was like attached and it was, it was really nice. But I remember that it was a stand-up shower. And I remember always being frustrated because I, I love taking baths and I was so frustrated. I'm like, I can't take a bath in the shower. Do you remember that small shower? Yeah. It was tiny. It was like a little closet, but it, I mean, it was but like, I'm not really a bath person. So to me, it's just like, I stand up shower. It's cool. Like, well, no, I take baths, y'all. I clean. But <laughs> you don't soak. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm totally fine with the shower. So um, where you were discontent, I would be like, hey, like, this is cool. I like At it. At least I, I got a shower. <laughs> well, I just remember like, what'd you say? Sorry. I got my own bathroom. Like that to me is like a win. Okay, girl. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> Yes, that is absolutely true. I should have been content with the fact that I had a place to bathe, but I remember just feeling frustrated that I didn't have a, a bathtub. And, you know, I moved into my own place and I finally got a bathtub. And then I remember when I moved to Indiana, I got two bathtubs and those bathtubs were huge. You remember those baths? And you had to clean both of them, girl, <laughs> on your own. <laughs> It did. No, that's very true. But yeah, so then you start realizing you're like, oh, wow. Like, and I remember, I find I, I prayed for this thing. There's something that I wanted. And this is very trivial, but this is just a small example. And then I got two bath subs and I was still in Indy, sad, ready to come home, ready to leave. And so I just think this is a long, how is my heart? But to, the short answer is my heart is discontent in a lot of places right now. And I'm working through finding contentment and remembering all the ways that God has been good. Um, and even when he doesn't give me exactly the thing that I want, his goodness is not tied to his hand. His goodness is not tied to the things that he gives me. And even in suffering, even in um, feeling like I'm going without, like his provision is still there. So that is how my heart is doing. I am working through discontentment. And if you are too, I recommend that podcast because it's, it really helped me this week. I love to do, so one, I realized that I like to interview people. I like it a lot, this whole interview style, but I also like to interview people that like I know and love, and I like to start with how we met. So you and I have a very unique story. We met back at Lincoln in undergrad. So would you like to tell the people the story of how we became friends? Okay, boom. It was in Dr. Brownchie's class. It was in, so it was in this class called FYE, which is first year experience, like everybody had to take it like your first year at Lincoln. Um, it was a required class and mind you, the, the classes and the classroom size and um, at Lincoln was quite small. So like you usually didn't have more than like 15 to 20 people in a class, but in FYE, there was like a hundred. And I just remember one day this girl raises her hand to say something and she was just like, 
hello, my name is Brianna McPherson. And then she answered the question and I was like, I love her. Wow, we're gonna be friends. And apparently you had the same reaction when I answered a question. And I don't know how we connected like from the class because it wasn't really like a study kind of course. It wasn't really like something that you had to like meet up with people and be like, hey, so like, let's get together and boom, boom, boom the project. Um, but I think we connected in that way. Like, hey, like, let me go introduce myself. Like, what's up, what's your name? Hey. <laughs> and then um, like shortly after that, like we just became really, really cool really quickly. And I remember, I don't know how, like, I got the nickname of being your wife. But, like, within three months of knowing each other, like, we were calling each other wife. And then, boom, like, we were just friends forever. And here we are. Yes. No. So that is exactly how I remember it as well. So it was so funny. So the way that Tiana describes, like, hearing my voice and, like, being like, oh, my gosh, who's this girl? I had the very same experience. And so... It, like Tiana said, FYE was a class where it was a lot of people, like it was a hundred plus people. It was like auditorium style. And I will say me coming from like Boston to like the PA area, I, there were a lot of times where people would speak in class and I would hear accents I'd never heard before, like the DC accent, the Philly accent. <laughs> you know, like, you're just like, wait, like, I've never heard somebody talk like yeah, accent, like oh my Baltimore, goodness. like so many of them. There were a couple Southern accents in there too. And like, but no one's voice like struck me like Brianna. Y'all, the listeners already know, like you have like this really like pleasant voice. Like it, it it's like, I'm, it's like music, at least to me when I first oh. Heard, like, oh my gosh. But also the way that you speak, like you don't just speak this way on the podcast. Like you speak in general with um, like a command over the room, like with a confidence. And I was just like, wow, like, I want to be her friend. Like we are made for each other and we're going to be friends. <laughs> I but it's crazy because I literally had the same thought. Like I heard your voice in this crisp, clear with a little bit of rasp of voice. And, and I, the classroom was so big that you couldn't see when people were talking. But I remember like looking around, like whose voice is that? Like, where is she? <laughs> like God said, look, we're going to make these girls friends and boom. That's his voice. It's exactly what happened, but I think it's so funny because it wasn't until years later when Tiana and I like talked about the moment where we decided we wanted to be each other's friend, and it was just so funny that our voices are what drew ourselves to each other, and then like Tiana said, we, I don't even know, it was just kind of like, a, okay, I want to be her friend, we just decided that. It was like the intention behind your answer too, like in FYE, that was not a class where people were like, you know, just trying to have smart answers or like trying to be impressive or like people would just say anything like what color is the sky i don't know red <laughs> <laughs> and um you know people would just say anything sometimes so to have you answer a question like seriously but also in a way that's that was articulate and intentional and like you were taking the class serious and I think I remember like sitting amongst a bunch of people who like really didn't care either and so that was the thing that kind of T deterred me from FYE I was just like nobody cares about this like this is not important but then yeah. hearing your voice hearing you taking it seriously I was like okay like this is the person that I need to be hanging out with because if she's taking FYE seriously I know she's gonna take everything else seriously and uh, okay I'm here to get a degree so let's go let's be friends yes. I think that's like how our trajectory our trajectory across college ended up being like we like took everything seriously but we also had so much time to like be ourselves and 
play and participate and like be socialites and do all of these things. Yep. Um, but we still were able to take school seriously. And yes. I was like, she's serious girl. She's about her business. Girl, yes. <laughs> and that was something that my aunt and uncle told me going into college. They were like, you need to find friends that are smarter than you, that are also here to get a degree. You can have your little fun, but you're not here to have fun. You're here to get your degree and get out of school. You have your fun, but no, get your degree and get out. So the same experience when I heard your voice, and I think we had math together too. And it was so funny because I remember you did not like our math team. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> you did not like her at all. And I remember you used to you used to do your work, but you would not do anything extra because you just were not feeling her. And I was like, wow, like this girl, she's and I never felt math either. Like math is the only subject where I feel like no matter how hard I try, I'm not gonna be successful. So on top of like my own feelings about math, that professor also was just so annoying. Like everything about the class irritated me. Like the class would be over 10 minutes over and she would still be talking. She would. And you used to get up. I gotta go, ma'am. I'll see you later. I liked her. I don't remember her name, but I actually really liked her as a math teacher. But I mean, I think in general, you took school seriously and that's what drew us to each other. And we've had amazing experiences since then. Tiana and I also had a very unique experience, which we won't get into on this podcast, but she'll definitely be in wonder. <laughs> Yes, one day we will. She'll definitely be invited back to the podcast to talk about we were best friends, um, but we also both wanted this um, title on campus, Miss Lincoln University. Yeah. And so we actually ran against each other and not necessarily campaigned against each other, but. Well, we, I mean, we were campaigning for ourselves. Right. Each other, kind of. Um, it wasn't slander. It wasn't. Not at all. But it was definitely a rough time, like having both of us want something, so. We won't get into it, like you said, but I would love to have that conversation because competing with your friends, like that's something that like a lot of people usually don't come out of and we, we're still here, sis. And know? we almost didn't come out of it, but we are here <laughs> however many years later post. I can't believe this would be our fifth year anniversary, but it's you know, fine. Of graduating, right? Yeah. It's crazy. We're old. <sighs> don't say that. Homecoming's probably going to be canceled this year. But anyways. Okay, well, next year, we're just going to have to pop out extra hard. Okay, okay? We'll, be out, we'll be out for our sixth year. Don't you even worry. <laughs> but okay, well, thank you for um, humoring me and telling the audience how we met. Um, now, I kind of want to get into talking about so many different things. So there's so much that I want to unpack. And there's so many different ways that I thought about starting this podcast. And if you're okay with it, I think I'm actually going to start light and then we can kind of go into the more heavier part of this topic. So on last week's episode, like I mentioned, we talked about love languages. And I remember when I discovered this book on love languages, I went on a campaign to tell everyone about this book. <laughs> you should <have> it, girl. <laughs> and all the people, I'm like, you Go ahead. What did you say? <laughs> did you take the test? Did you take the test? Literally, you were texting me like every other day, like, did you take the test? Did you and I even take the test? And I was like, girl. <laughs> I mean, it's important. But <laughs> so, okay, my questions are, I have a few of them. So one is what is your love language and what is Naeem's love language? Okay, so um, my love language is quality time and physical touch mm-hmm. um and Naeem's love language is physical touch and acts of service mm. so um but my primary is quality time and Naeem's primary 
is um, physical touch. Mm -hmm. So we have a little bit of overlap, but there's like the way that ours ordered, because we did it like in order, like Mm -hmm. they're ordered very differently for us. So we've really had to learn like, how do I receive love? And how should I give love? And also how does he receive love? And how does he give love? And sometimes there's translation issues with that, but like we're always learning every day, you know? Yeah. So what is it like? So I, last week I talked about like my, the, I feel like the love language that comes the least natural to me is um, gifts, like being able to give people gifts and whatever. So I'm like, God, I pray that whoever Adam is, his love language is not receiving gifts. Cause I feel like I suck at that one. Yeah. And so <laughs> for you, what is it like to have a different love language than your partner? And how do you navigate that? Like, how are you being intentional about remembering like, okay, quality time might be mine but physical touch is his like how do you navigate that um it's kind of difficult sometimes because I am okay with just sitting on the couch together I like I love touching but like it's not the way that I determine that you love me and for him it's just like you're not touching me do you hate me like what's going on here (laughs) you know um so I have to be really conscious of like when I am in a mood where I'm like not really feeling touchy-feely versus when he's feeling touchy-feely I have to also understand too that like when he wants to like hold my hand or rub my arm or touch me and I'm feeling like why are you doing this right now I have to be really cognizant of how I'm reacting and I have to be intentional with being clear about like or these are moments where I don't really enjoy when you touch me. Like for example, eating, like when I'm eating food, it's, I don't feel, I don't feel sexy. I don't feel anything. Like I feel like hungry. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, for him, sometimes he's like, you know, he'll eat and like reach over and rub my arm, rub my shoulder. And for me, it just feels like, why is this the moment when you want to touch me? And so like, I've had to clearly explain, like, I'm okay with you touching me. But when I'm eating, that is just a really awkward time for me. It doesn't feel comfortable. I know that's how you like show your love. But like, can you show love when I'm not eating? Mm. Like, you know, like. (laughs) Can you uh, say that? (laughs) Yeah, and like, but you have to say it because, you know, if I'm just like, get off, you know, flicking my hands, like pushing Mm. me, that's going to be, that's going to translate to him. Like, wow, like she just what did I do? Why is she angry at me? And it's just like, no, I just want to eat my food. So I think it's really just about like, when things are not translating correctly, like really clarifying why it is or isn't making you feel comfortable, particularly for me, like, when it's not comfortable, or when I don't like something or specific moments when it's just uncomfortable for me, I try to vocalize that. And I try to be gentle about it, too. Because mm. it's just, you know, sometimes words can be harsh, and I can be very direct. Yeah. So I don't ever want for him to be like, you know, you just cursed me out and all I wanted to do was like rub on you, mm-hmm. you know? So um, it's a fine line sometimes, especially when you're knowing somebody's love language. But I think when you know at least what their love language is, you can be more aware when they're trying to express love yeah. and, um, with your feelings about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So one thing that I love that you said is, you know, clarifying it gently, like, you know, using your words kindly. One thing that I've always admired about you is your ability to know what you're feeling and articulate it clearly, especially when it comes to your boundaries. And, and I've, from the beginning, like you've always been, I was like, "Mm, no, I actually don't want to do that. Or no, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Like you've always just had those words just in our friendship in general. And it's something that I feel like I personally 
don't always know how to do. Like I'm learning what my boundaries are and I'm learning how to articulate them gently and, and be so mindful about that, I guess. Have you, was there a moment where you felt like you had to learn that or have you just always been this person who is able to clearly articulate and, and set boundaries? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I've always been very direct and I wasn't always nice about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't always care about people's feelings. And this is like, not just with my husband, like this is just in general, like I've not always been nice about it cause I didn't always care about people's feelings. Um, but um, once I realized like, even though I don't generally like, I don't generally like people overall, <laughs> um, like I need to be extra kind to the people that I do like. So my family, my close friends, people that I genuinely care about or that I have like, um, where, where I have relationships where I'm working with you often. Like I have to be gentle and kinder to people that I care about. Um, otherwise I'm gonna drive people away because my directness has driven a lot of people out of my life. Um, so it was definitely something that I worked on, but also loving people that I love is very easy for me too. So mm -hmm. saying something kind to somebody I love is not difficult. Saying something kind to somebody who I appreciate is not difficult, um, but also I'm gonna get to the point. Like I'm gonna say how I feel, I'm gonna say what mm -hmm. I need to say because I don't like to be uncomfortable and I don't like holding my tongue if there's something that I know like I'm, I'm not feeling this. So um, it was definitely a process, but I think I learned really quickly that like you just have to be kind to the people that you love or mm -hmm. they're gonna walk out of your life. And I would much rather find kind words to say something that might not necessarily be a positive thing mm -hmm. um, than to you know just say how I'm feeling and potentially like ruin that relationship. Yeah. So you put a lot of thought into when you care about that relationship, you put a lot of thought into how you are going to deliver a message that, you know, might could be a little tough or easy to misinterpret. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I love that. And I love that you said it's easy to find nice words when you, you love somebody because I feel like you are like one of my biggest cheerleaders. Whenever I like need a pep talk, you are the person, you'd be like, you are beautiful. You are amazing. You are awesome. And I just be like, I need all of this right now. <laughs> so. so true. Like, and that's the other thing too. It's not like I'm making words up just to say like nice things that like really have no meaning. Like these are really things that I feel. Like I'm also um, really intentional about like saying how I feel about people too, mm -hmm. especially if they're gonna uplift you and make you feel positive. Like we're not at Lincoln anymore and we don't have people just walking around like calling us queen. Hi queen. Hey queen, you look beautiful today. Oh, I love that outfit girl. You better go ahead on the class. Oh like, my you know, gosh, yes positivity every single day so it's like when when you or any one of my friends calls me and you guys are feeling down on yourselves it's just like are you crazy like I aspire to be you like you are wonderful you know so I don't feel like those are the things that I should like not say like I have to say them immediately I love that do you do that for Naeem as well like I mean do you build him up with your words and hype him up be like oh okay. yes yeah. <laughs> love when he's in uniform especially like when he's at home like hey if I see him out in public when he's in uniform I'm like hey Mr. Officer oh my god it was me I did it like <laughs> but also like when he's not in uniform like we like I speak to him with kindness all the time like I mm. love him handsome he's my chocolate man I love him <laughs> so um I definitely do that with Naeem as well but we also like have more of an intimate relationship like we live together we eat together we 
do all of these things together. So um, I do think that sometimes I, um, I don't always say all the positive things all the time, mm. um, but I do try to, I do try to say them as much as possible. And I'm also working on saying them more often. Mm. Um, sometimes when you're in your everyday life, you can, you can forget to be like, just so you know, like you're amazing today, because all we've done today is just sat on the couch and watch Netflix and, you know, order takeout. And so sometimes in those moments, I have to remind myself, like, tell him that you love him, tell him that he's wonderful, tell him that he made a good choice and, you know, selecting what we're ordering off of Grubhub today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. Okay. So you've dropped a lot of gems for us around like loving on, you know, your husband and knowing his love language and even if his love language is something that is not a way that you want to be communicated to in that moment to articulate that boundary kindly. Um, I think that's super important. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit about wedding stuff because you just got to plan a wedding right before Corona shut everything down. You gave me one of the best events of 2020, <laughs> probably one of the last ones, honestly. And so, I mean, you are definitely one of the lucky ones. So many people have had to cancel weddings, reschedule weddings. And so maybe for people that are listening who are, because again, like I said, I talk so much about singleness because that's my perspective, but for somebody who has just planned a wedding, what was the wedding planning process for you? Like what were some of your favorite or least favorite parts of that process? Man, um, that's like, that's a loaded question because there's so many things that go into planning the wedding. Um, so yeah, like I almost, I, I almost can't even like, like pinpoint one thing because it's just so broad. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess one of my favorite parts about planning the wedding was literally the excitement of getting married. Like, I think a lot of people spend so much time and energy on, like, making sure the wedding is perfect, but, like, not making sure the marriage is perfect. Mm. And, you know, not saying that marriages can't be imperfect or that ma all marriages will absolutely be perfect, but I just, I spent a lot of time trying to make sure that the day reflected the marriage that I intended to have. One that may not be, you know, the most elaborate thing that have ever ha that has ever happened, but something that is beautiful and that demonstrates how we feel about each other, mm -hmm. which is family, love, music, partying, you know, um, like all of those things like really were encompassed in that day. So just trying to get the wedding day to reflect what I hope that our marriage will look like. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was in the small details and the large details, like the between the, from the music to us jumping the broom you know, like that was really important for me, us having a broom made, like I had to oh, ask the wedding coordinator to create a broom because nothing that I had seen on the internet was what I had envisioned for us. Mm -hmm. um, but that was really important for me and important for us to actually participate in and to jump the broom in front of all of our friends to pay homage to our family, our friends and our ancestors, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the least favorite was honestly the guests. Like, <laughs> like, not, <laughs> like not the guests like at the wedding on the wedding day, but like the planning process and dealing with guests. Like people are just so inconsiderate when it comes to weddings. Like never in my life did I realize how many people, like how much people were inconsiderate until planning this wedding. Like mm. 
man, I could go on, like I could go in detail. Let me know if you want me to or not. <laughs> you know, just dealing with people in general, I was so happy to be done with it because I was just like, y'all are really about to get cut off. <laughs> I do remember some of your strongly worded posts about people not asking for a plus one. <laughs> Like, well, like what the situation with the plus ones was that like, we have a huge family, mm-hmm. like we had over 135 people at, invited to our wedding at the wedding. And so, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money. We had to work for everything that we had. Mm-hmm. We didn't have parents who were just like, don't worry about it. We'll pay for everything. We had to work overtime. We had to save money. We had to penny pinch and crunch to have the day that we wanted to have. And so to have people who were like, like you were on the, the C list of the guests <laughs> backup and you're talking about, I want a plus one. Like, no, like, you, I'm sorry. Like everyone cannot get a plus one. You weren't even on the main list. <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, it's just like, I was, I, when I was doing like the seating chart and making sure that everyone had companions, there was nobody there that didn't know at least five people. And so mm-hmm. When you're in a situation where, especially a comfortable family situation, where you know everybody around you, you don't necessarily need to have like a date, especially if you're not in a serious relationship. Like I I was just really intentional about not having like random people at our wedding because we don't keep random people in our lives. And so Mm. (laughs) like, so, you know, like for the, you know, for some of our, our wedding guests who we know kind of keep people on rotation in their love life mm. we want that energy at our wedding like this is you know I'm, I'm some people might not like that and that's okay if you have money to give all of your guests plus ones like by by all means do that but the Johnsons weren't doing that <laughs> it was funny I was at auntie and Franz's house so those are my aunt and uncle you guys have heard Franz talk about finances and my aunt is obviously his wife um I was at their house this weekend and they were talking to another couple who hopefully we'll be getting married soon. If they're listening, they know all the shade that I'm throwing right now. Um, (laughs) But um, auntie had said one of her rule, one of her and Franz's rules was neither person would be meeting somebody for the first time that day. So for example, if Franz had people in his life that like family members that auntie had never met, and mind you, auntie and Franz dated for 16 years. So they're like, if you have family members that I have not met in 16 years, I ain't trying to meet them on the day of our wedding and vice versa. So that helped, especially when you have large families, that helped them kind of keep that list down. So I think, again, that just goes into your ability to set boundaries. Um, and so that's so funny that you said <laughs> that the guests were your least favorite part. Yeah, I could go on about that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so funny. Well, I definitely, that's actually another topic that I want to do later down the line too, just about like wedding planning tips. But I think you've given some little gems here since, I mean, nobody's going to be planning a wedding for a while or, you know, (laughs) but so, okay. Would you say, sorry? No, I just said all that for all of the weddings that have gotten canceled or the people who are intending to like have big weddings right now. Like I'm so blessed that that didn't happen. Like, honestly like based on how like things have gone in the pandemic and how things were going before the pandemic for me like I don't think God would have done that to me like that would have literally just been the straw that broke my me the camel's back (laughs) (laughs) oh no I know and and the fact that you literally got married literally a month and a week before everything shut down and so you went from 
you know, now being newlyweds and, and also like the fact that you're, you know, I couldn't imagine like your honeymoon. I think about that too. Like people who had not just weddings planned, but like honeymoons planned and these big lavish trips. I know how much you love to travel. So I know that would have been devastating. And my heart definitely goes out to anybody who's had to cancel a wedding or delay or lost money, <clears throat> even baby showers. There's, I mean, there've been so many events that have been canceled. Um, but for you, you got married, you're a month in, and then boom, you're stuck in the house with your spouse. So how has quarantine been for you and Naeem as newlyweds? Oh, man. Well, um, so I guess I would start by saying that Naeem and I were together for seven years before we got married. Mm-hmm. Um, six years before we got engaged, seven um, by the time we actually got married. We've already gone through um, having a, a long, stable, lasting relationship. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to kind of preface that part before talking about us being newlyweds mm-hmm. um, because I think for someone who may have only been with someone for like a year or maybe you know a few years before something like this I think they would have completely different struggles um, so we had like a serious relationship a long relationship before this um, but I think what was really hard and what still is really hard um, about being newlyweds is that we had real serious plans for our first year of marriage like we wanted to travel. We wanted to go to different cities and see family and friends. We wanted to, um, like, we had this little thing that we wanted to start by, like, going to different cities to watch basketball games. Mm-hmm. Um, Naeem is a really big fan of basketball, and <clears throat> I am a fan by proximity. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I love to travel. He loves to travel. And what a great way to go visit a random city that we wouldn't otherwise visit by going to watch basketball games. <laughs> Well, the pandemic canceled all of that. Um, You know, we live our life planning our next trip. We usually go on vacation twice a year at least, um, and that's out of the country. And so not being able to move forward toward our next trip has been really hard on um, the way that we kind of reward ourselves for having, um, you know, a a great year, a great half half of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just being at a standstill for so long, like when we had the, all of these elaborate plans has been really rough on us and not being able to, you know, have fun dates that we had planned, not being able to, you know, just finally like go places and be like, we're married, you know, um, it's been really rough in that way. Um, and also I get cabin fever cause we have a one bedroom apartment. And so having to be stuck inside a lot makes, you know, both of us really agitated sometimes. And so um, it's just not the romantic first year of marriage Mm -hmm. that we were expecting to have. Um, But on the positive note, it's like, I'm so glad that I married you. And I'm so glad that I got you. Like, that's how we, we speak to each other. Like, if if I were doing this with anybody else, like, I, like, I don't know how I would do this with anyone else or God forbid alone. You know, like he is, you know, he's the core of my support system. He's the person that sees what I go through every day. He's the person who has been there for me when the pandemic really just slapped your girl all the way up. Like, <laughs> you know, like you, you, you know my struggles mm-hmm. during this pandemic. And so um, without him, I don't know where I would be, you know. So in a lot of ways, it's been, um, it's been wonderful in that we we have gone through more than a lot of marriages at their by their 10-year mark mm-hmm. we've gone through more than a lot of marriages have gone through yeah. in years, five years more than that and so and we've only done that in less than six months you know and so um, I'm just grateful to have a partner that's supportive and that's there for me and 
um, that's dealing with my, my mood swings. <laughs> so, okay, you mentioned <clears throat> having a one-bedroom apartment, and I was actually listening to this podcast earlier, I think yesterday, of marriage podcast, and they, the couples were saying that they just were not used to spending so much time together, like, you know, between, at least you get out of the house to, like, drop the kids off, or, like, you know, the husband goes to work, or whatever, and they were saying that they found themselves fighting a lot more. And what they realized is that they just needed to find ways to create their own alone time, even in small spaces. So, I mean, how have you found time or found creative ways to make space for yourself? Um, well, I, okay, so a lot of girls are going to like hate me for this, but I let him play video games. Like, turn that PlayStation on, Call of Duty, 2K, do what you need to do. Um, and let me like mind my business over here. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a big reader um, and I read a lot of poetry. And when I read poetry, I don't like to be interrupted because I lose track of things. Um, and so, you know, while he's playing the game, I can sit and read poetry uninterrupted. Mm -hmm. But if he's just kind of sitting there watching me read, it's like, what are you doing? How's the book? Is it okay? Everything's great. And I'm like, I can't get through a poem because <laughs> he keeps talking to me. Um, so, you know, little things like that, like just letting him do what he wants to do with his time and letting me do what I want to do with my time mm -hmm. is great. But um, we really spend a lot of time together, like mm -hmm. aside from like just living together like we literally do everything together um and so we've kind of been used to that throughout our entire relationship really just like we grocery shop together for the most part we go to the mall together for the most part we go to the bar together for the most part um we go to parties together for the most part so um i think it's just about like just expressing when you need to do something on your own like mm. being simple saying something as simple as like hey listen I need an hour. I want to read. I just need an hour, you know? Mm -hmm. So. I love that. That's so funny. I'm cracking up at you. Let him play his video games. That is so funny. But hey, you know, to each his own. And if that's what you need to do to get your hour, we not mad at you. <laughs> I'm not fighting with the PlayStation. Go ahead. Go for it. Enjoy. <laughs> okay. So moving on to, I guess, more of the meat of the, and I mean, you've dropped so many gems. So thank you for just giving us a peek into like your newlywed life and um, the wedding planning process. But now I kind of want to transition into so not only have you been a newlywed during this time, but like I mentioned in the intro, you're also a Black woman who is married to a Black man who just so happens to be a cop. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time where I was talking to you and you were telling me, it was like just like a random conversation before any of this, honestly, um, you were telling me how stressed and how fearful you were about, you know, just how when Naeem walks out the door, being a Black cop, you think about like, okay the things that could happen, the things that could go wrong in his day to day. And I remember thinking like, wow, you know, that's not something that a regular person is just thinking about, like what a wife of a cop, not to mention a black cop, but the wife of a cop goes through the thoughts that go through your mind. Yeah. You no, know, you're not my only friend that is married, a black woman that's married to a black cop. And so I think when you guys share those moments, it's like, wow, like the experience is already different for you being a wife of a cop. But then I imagine it's so much more complex being a black wife of a black cop. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, my question for you is how have you been processing everything that has been happening with, in regards to the police, police brutality, um, in regards to the conversation around defunding the cops, 
everything that's been going on, how have you been processing it all as a Black woman and the wife of a Black cop? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, the truth is, like, I really have not been processing it well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I guess I'll kind of go back to, like, when Naeem first was attempting to get into the police academy. I would have conversations with him about, like, you know, are you sure this is what you're going to do? Like, is this sure, are you sure this is what you want? Like, um, you're going to experience a lot of adversity. Like, it's going to, it's going to be hard. But he was always adamant that this is what he wanted to do. He's wanted to do this for a really long time. Um, and then as he started to go out into the street, I started to learn that so quite dangerous as well. Um, there's shootings every day. There's um, a lot of murders going on. There's just a lot of things in this small city that's going on. Um, and so I fear for him often just going outside as a Black man. But then I also fear for him when he goes to work because, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone does pull out a gun to respond to police activity, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I just have a general fear of his life in general. Um, but with everything happening right now, um, with the protest uh, from George Floyd, um, I was really on the verge of a mental break. And we talked mm-hmm. a lot about this in detail, but um, I was going through my own issues with being able to process my own feelings about things. And I felt like I couldn't breathe all the time. Like I literally felt like I was on the verge of having panic attacks multiple times a day, Mm -hmm. just picking up my phone. And then, um, you know, when, when the protests first started happening, Naeem was off from work. And then the next day they were actually on, so it happened on a Saturday where they were having really big protests and were looting. Um, There was a lot going on. And thankfully, he was off that weekend. We had already had a couple drinks. We were eating our food. We were comfortable. They were blowing up his phone like, hey, like, can you come in for overtime? Like, please, anybody? And he was just like, nope. And um, for me, I was very much against him going in for overtime because I felt like I stand with the protesters. I believe in everything that the Black Lives um, Matter movement stands for. Um, I believe in Black people. I believe in everything that it is that we're fighting for. And so, you know, I was against him going in for overtime because it felt like blood money to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happened the next day is that he had to come in for mandatory overtime. And what happened in the weeks following that was this random mandatory overtime that kept happening. And they kept forcing the entire police department, everybody who was off to come in. And I started to fear for him because when he's in uniform, when he's out in the city, black people don't look at him as being a black man. They're like, oh, you're blue. But then in the department, the white police officers look at him like, oh, you're a black man still. You know, he still is hit with adversity that there the same way that he is in regular life and so what a lot of people don't really understand and see is that black men who are in in that who are police officers in any way shape or form a lot of them are black they they are black by culture black by soul like they stand with us they agree with us they don't believe in that they also have a lot of departmental struggles um most departments don't have a whole lot of black police officers they don't have a lot of women police officers a lot of minorities and so they have the same struggles that we have in our everyday lives also while they're struggling with them at work just like 
I struggled at work um, with being a black person too, you know? And so this is not me by any means saying that like, you know, um, protecting police and like kind of standing up for them because I still, like I said, I stand with the Black Lives Matter movement, but at the same time, those black officers are also black men and black women and they are black people and they have the same struggles that we do and that uniform does not protect them. That uniform mm -hmm. does not protect them, not in the ways that we think it does. Um, yeah. and so it's just been really tough and it's been really hard um, kind of being, being, I won't say being on both sides because I don't believe mm -hmm. that, um, but having a foot in both sides, like mm -hmm. kind of literally being in between two different worlds that are literally fighting against each other right now. Yeah. It's been hard. I, I mean, I, I can only imagine. I, I really appreciate you sharing that and being so transparent about that. On a smaller scale, I talked about um, like when all this was happening and in the church, like a lot of like the white evangelicals were just having these outrageous responses to racism. And, and I was talking about like the dichotomy of being Christian and black. And like you said, where you feel like the both sides have opposing views and they're feuding and where you struggle because you're like I feel like I rep I'm black I'm a Christian I represent both of those and so you know for you where you're a black woman and so you understand the struggles you understand why people are protesting you've seen the videos of police brutality and at the same time you are a part of the and I use quotation marks but a part of the blue world where your husband is that's his job he is a police officer so he has friends you have friends that work in this field and you know I will say that I have several police officers in my family. You and one of our other friends from college are married to police officers. And so for me, it's even been challenging. And even I've had to check my own heart because I do not believe and I do not subscribe to all cops are bad. That's just not one of my fundamental beliefs. Do I think that there are bad cops? Absolutely. Do I think that there are situations where cops abuse their power? And do I think that there are cops that have biases that treat people of color differently? Absolutely. But I don't just blanketly apply how I feel about a few or a couple to all because I know several personally, like I was talking one of my cousins yesterday about um, his views. And so he's my cousin first before he is a is a cop. And so Naeem is your husband first, you, you know, your friend, your lover before he is a cop, but he's also a black man. And yeah. so, you know, I can just imagine what that process is for you i guess so there are a lot of conversations right now about defunding the police in response to george floyd what are your thoughts on that solution or any other solutions that are currently circling around in regards to um this situation racism not this situation racism <laughs> and police brutality well um i just want to comment on what you said about like you don't you don't um you don't prescribe to all cops are bad. I agree with that. But more than anything, I think that the system of policing is deeply flawed. And I think that's where the issue lies. It's a systematic issue mm. um, that allows racism to thrive in the field of policing. Mm. <laughs> Y'all can't see me, but yes. I yeah, but she's pointing her finger rooting from me. Um, and, but, yeah. but, it, but it's the truth. It's, it's like this system has been corrupted since its inception. And so, mm -hmm. you know, 
of course you're going to have people who are racist. You're going to have people who abuse the system um, because the system allows for that to happen, you know? And so I empathize with people when they say all cops are bad. I don't believe that all individual cops are bad, mm -hmm. um, but I believe that the system of policing that allows cops to be bad is incredibly flawed. And I do believe that it needs to be, it needs to be reorganized, readjusted, and things need to change. And those police officers, those cops, those state troopers, you know, chef, sheriff's deputies, whatever they're called, wherever you live, they need to be held accountable for their actions. Yes. So um, I want to start off by saying that. Um, how I feel about defund the police, from what I understand, and, you know, I'm not going to say that I am a specialist on what, you know, people who believe that we should defund the police believe. Mm -hmm. um, but from my understanding, i do believe that the police need to be defunded and those funds need to be reinvested into the community in ways that make poli policing more efficient and that make communities more equipped to handle the issues that that uh, rest in that community so my understanding of defunding the police doesn't necessarily mean abolish all policing everywhere right because at that point we would have anarchy right and then there would just be no sort of structure um, but I do think that policing, police officers in general, the, the system of policing is getting so much money to do, you know, to fight crime when the core issues of why these crimes are happening could be addressed by funding them more, giving them more resources, giving them more money. You mm -hmm. know, if you have an area, like for example, a lot of drug addicts, if the city invested in you know, drug rehabilitation, having, excuse me, more departments that are um, better equipped to deal with people when they are having um, episodes as a result of their drug use, instead of calling the police, mm. you're going to have a better outcome for those people who are suffering with addiction. I'm not saying that police should never be called at all. If mm -hmm. someone violent, then fine, you know, you can call the police, but there should also be departments, there should also be different ways that the city can address that person's drug issues, instead of just, you know, putting, throwing them in jail, or yeah. them out in, you know, like putting them in jail, charging them up, giving them fines, you know, sending them to prison, like suddenly you're a felon because, you know, you do drugs or you have an addiction, you know, so I think that there are ways that those funds that go into policing can be distributed in such a way that it helps, um, helps um, get to the root of the issue. Issues, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that defunding the police and investing in communities um, individually and helping those communities is a better option than just saying, here, police officers, here's tons and tons of money, go out and police. Mm. Yeah. So I love that you touch on how the system of policing feels like it is built to protect racism. And I was having this conversation with some family members yesterday, um, two of who are in law enforcement and one who's a lawyer. And we were talking and I don't even know how the fact that a police officer does not have to state why you are being arrested, like legally they don't have to. I mean, a lot of them do because it's a de-escalation tactic, but they legally do not have to say why you're being arrested. And I was furious by hearing that. And, and again, they were coming from the perspective of law enforcement. So they're like, legally, you don't have to. And I'm like, do you not see how if a racist white cop or racist any cop, whatever, 
but I'm going to talk about racist white cop is over policing in a black neighborhood and they want to pull somebody over and then place them under arrest and say they have probable cause or whatever for arresting that person. And I use a Sandra Bland example. I'm like, but if you are not explaining to that person, like she got pulled over for a taillight that is out and then ended up being arrested. Why am I being arrested? And if you're not answering that question and you think I'm going to be calm, you think because people are like, oh, well, if you comply, you'll live. First of all, that argument. Well, that's false. (laughs) If you comply, you can still die. So exact that argument really frustrates me but i'm like i think one small step and you know my cousin who's a police officer was kind of disagreeing here but like one small step is you should have to say why somebody's being put under arrest because the fact that you don't have to say that to me is just it's crazy like because you like you said you're creating the system where people can flourish by abusing the badge so again not all police officers are bad but the ones who are racist the ones who do have biases the ones who are just arresting somebody just to mess with them because they cussed at them or whatever and they just want to oh well your day's going to be bad because you you know whatever whatever and it's like that is insane to me so I was like really flustered and really upset about that yesterday because I did not know that legally they did not have to say that and I'm like especially in this social media age where people are capturing these things on video, it's very easy for us now, the consumer that's watching this to be like, why are they being arrested? Why is the police not saying why they're being arrested? And that creates even more outrage. I think I also just want to throw in here that like, I'm not speaking for my husband and I'm not speaking for what his views are and nothing like that. I'm speaking on my board. So yeah, because now that we're starting to get into opinion, like, I just want to make that clear. But You know, I think the difference is that people who are in law enforcement and who deal with the law see things from the perspective of those who created the law, those who enforce the law, Mm -hmm. um, those who, um, you know, put laws in place. And we as citizens are coming from the perspective of citizens, of people outside of that. And, you know, I think one big disconnect with policing is that they know what they're allowed to do and what they have to do. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what they are allowed to do and what they have the right and the power to do. And we also don't know what our rights are in a lot of situations. So like, just for example, if a police officer pulls you over and asks you for your identification and you say no, you are giving them some sort of probable cause to Mm -hmm. arrest you or to escalate the situation. To them, it seems like you're escalating the situation because you don't want them to be able to identify you. Mm -hmm. You are, you as the citizen are making the situation more dangerous because now the police officer is questioning who you are. You know, like small things like that for us, it's just like, well, what do you need my ID for? What what did I do? Why am I being pulled over? And they're just like, well, why are you, why are you getting so defensive? What did you do? What do you Mm -hmm. have? And so there's like, there's literally like, it's like we're speaking different languages. Yeah. Like we're playing two different games. Like we're playing chess, they're playing checkers. And it's like Mm. that whole interaction of how you, I love that you said that, like we are looking at it from the point of protecting civilians and they're looking at a point of protecting the law. And I get it. Like, yes, there are ways in which a situation could be dangerous and a police officer is fearing their own life. Like, I understand that that's a real um, fear that exists, but I think even that interaction and that process needs to be somehow changed. And I don't know, I personally don't know what that change is, but there needs to be some sort, because we are already, like I said, if you come up to my window and you're like, 
you know, license registration is like, why am I being pulled over? Like, and I think that's fair to ask a question, right? Not saying that you, you know, um, not comply or whatever, but like, I have a question. Why am I being pulled over? And it just seems like there's no room for dialogue. And I also think too that um, policing allows for officers to be above you, to not feel like they have to answer any questions, to not be able like to say, well, you should respect me. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for me, I'm like, I'm not respecting nobody who doesn't respect me. You know, and if we're already coming into the conversation, assuming that you're not respecting me and vice versa. So if a police officer is seeing a person of color and they're like, oh, they're probably anti-police. And then a black person, a person of color is seeing the police and they're like, oh, they're probably, you know, one of the, <laughs> yeah, they're probably racist. They're probably one of the bad ones. And then it's like that whole moment of tension right there is already creating a situation that could potentially be disastrous. And I was telling, um, you know, my uncle yesterday, I was like, you know, we, to think that somebody is going to remain calm, like we don't allow people. So now I'm not, I'm not saying that violence against police officers is in any way, shape or form acceptable. But what I'm saying is that if you pull me over because, because they use an example, they're like, say your taillight is out and I pull you over, then I realize that you have a warrant out for your arrest or whatever. But say I have no idea that there's a warrant out. So I use this example. One of um, somebody that I know was, um, he was, um, he got pulled, he got a ticket or pulled over in the city, New York, because he was um, going through train cars, whatever that means. I don't know what it means, but that's how they described it. Like going through train car- cars is apparently you're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So they pulled them, like, you know, they, the, I guess, authority there, the cops, I guess, were like, hey, you know, you're getting a ticket. So as they take his license and ID and stuff to write him up for a ticket, they see that he had a warrant out for his arrest. Mind you, this is like one of the most like vanilla people, sweetest people, like anybody in the family that he that heard that he had gotten arrested. We were like, what? Like who? And so, you know, and he's, he's like, he had no idea he had a warrant out for his arrest, none of that stuff. So what ended up happening, he goes to the police station, whatever. What ends up happening was that Apparently, a couple years before, he had gotten a ticket for riding his bike on the sidewalk, which is illegal in New Jersey or in New York City. And I guess he had lost a ticket or didn't pay it or something. It was like a you know fifty dollars ticket, whatever. And there was a warrant out for his arrest because he did not pay that ticket. That he didn't. That man did not know he had a warrant out for his arrest. And so now, and I don't know if the cops explained. I don't know what happened, but imagine a situation where. A, man, a person who's literally like, what are you talking about? And yes, it was his responsibility to pay the ticket, playing the devil's advocate. Yes, it was. But just imagine that situation where you're like, wait, what? Like, there's a warrant out for my arrest. And they're like, they're not explaining. They're just like, come with me. You're under arrest. And it's like, I'm under arrest for going between train cars. And it beca- if there was no dialogue there, and now this person, and you know, he was a black man. So now say now he's like, you know, being I'm using my air quotes right now, being what the police are considering aggressive or he's, but it's like, you haven't even explained to me like why I'm under arrest. Like that, and that to me, that moment, I think about that. And I'm like, that the fact that that can happen and there's no explanation. And like you said, there's no room for dialogue in that moment is very frustrating. And I think that needs to be a part of the change. And from both perspectives, like how can we um, make sure that police officers are safe as well, but that the civilian is at least given some sort of explanation and not just taken away, knowing that the system is already flawed and that these biases and racism exist. Yeah. No, everything that you said is completely true. And, 
you know, I think um, one thing that I have learned as well is that police officers go through really intense um, situation shifts, you know? So in, yeah. in, one, in one way, you might have an encounter that's completely pleasant, no tickets, no negative exchange. It, you know, everything turns out positive. And then in the next instant, you might get called to something where, you know, there was a shooting and people have died or there are people shot. And, and a good right, point. After that, right after that shooting, then you go to a different situation where they're like, hey, there's a stolen car and you just so happen to see that stolen car. And they believe that the, the person in the vehicle has a gun. And so, you know, they're jumping from these very different situations some incredibly more dangerous than others and they're on edge and they have you know they they are already angry or pissed off or you know they're stressed from the last situation and this is not me saying um this is not me defending anybody anybody's action but it's just explaining something that i and that's and that's i think you're allowed to do that like you're allowed to speak of police officers as human beings because they are and I think a lot of people like I mean that's not something that I ever thought about about how drastically a situation can change from like oh we're trying to get a cat out of a tree to oh this person's on suicide watch to this person you know is domestic abuse like I think that's such a great point and I think you know I think we can talk about police officers as as if they're human beings yeah but I think what the issue is is that there's there's not enough communication like I know these things because I am intimately involved with someone who works as a police officer Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of people don't get that experience of like hearing about the stuff that's going on in their day and so that's not an excuse to have your encounters with everybody be on edge but it's also to say too like you know when you're in these situations with police officers and you are suddenly asking questions and they're perceiving this as like, okay, we got another attitude. You know what I'm saying? And then sprinkle some racism in there as well. And it's a problem. Exactly. Exactly. Or sprinkle some <laughs> protests about police brutality going on. And mm-hmm. so that adds a whole nother layer. And so, you know, I think that a lot of times police officers are looking at people as you know, more likely to be criminal than not. Mm -hmm. And then I think a lot of times we are looking at police officers as you're not human. like Mm -hmm. And more likely to be corrupt or racist or whatever than not. Well, what I think is important is that Black people need to be able to go into any industry to be able to advocate for us in any industry that you're in, particularly in law enforcement. I believe that, you know, it is so important for Black people who want to be in law enforcement to do that, to go in and to literally be the change that you want to see. Because the truth of the matter is, America is not going to abolish the police. It's not going to happen in these United States. Mm -hmm. Now, they may defund them. They may you know, give less funding, they may start other programs um, to help, um, you know, to help kind of um, deter situations where where we would normally call the police, but they're not going to abolish the police. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so important that we get more Black faces, um, I'm sorry, more Black people, 
I meant faces, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not, not blackface. We got it. <laughs> but more black people, more black women, um, more women, more Latino people, and also have people from those communities be a part of those police departments as well. And so that now when you have people in your community, you don't have, you know, random white boys coming from the Midwest coming to New York City Police Department, trying to be a police officer, and who doesn't care about that community, mm-hmm. who doesn't know those people, who yeah. doesn't know, you know, uh, Mr. Joe that lives down the street, who always sits on the porch and gives water bottles to the kids when they're outside running playing. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you want people from the community to be a part of the policing of the community. You need more Black people. Um, you need more Black police officers, Black women and men policing communities where we are present you just Mm -hmm. need more diversity in general so that also our voices can be heard in those police departments too yeah you you can't have a city that's 60 percent black but the police department is 95 percent white Mm. and 75 percent male talk about it not a reflection of those communities you know what i'm saying and so i think while abolishing the police is um a very drastic um, and a, a very, that's a very drastic um, point of perspective to have. Um, but I think there are ways that we can take control of the situation. And that's by encouraging our Black brothers and sisters who have this desire, who have that calling on their heart to go for it and to be the change that you want to see. Because we all experience racism and, and um, microaggressions and, and everything that- Any workplace, any- yeah whether you work in the office whether you work um in customer service you're going to experience it and um i think more than anything is it's just that we need to have encounters healthy encounters with the police we need yeah. to have an- encounters that reflect who we are who mm-hmm. the these are and so that you know situations can de-escalate just by being able to say like hey like I saw you at the gym or, Hey, like you used to go to this high school or like, Hey, like I saw you, you know, on South street in Philly, like that's what's up. You know, um, just having ways that people in charge can relate to the community. I love that so much. And I actually heard, I forgot who it was a comedian I follow on Instagram that said that police, a part of their police officers training should be the fact that they have to spend time with a certain family, have dinner at a certain family in that community that they police once a month. And it's like, so, I mean, I just, I love that because I'm like, you know, for those people who, okay, let's think about biases. Let's think about stereotypes. These white cops who maybe don't realize that they have racist thoughts, that they have biased thoughts against people of color. Yo, go spend some time in these people's houses, have dinner with them so you can see them as human beings, as, not as criminals or whatever other view you might have that you don't even realize that you have, that you haven't even addressed, and vice versa. I think, like you said, we need to have more healthy interactions with law enforcement. And again, I can speak from this perspective because I have family members. I have, again, you that has a husband who's a police officer. So I know that there are good cops who are, you know, not out here, you know, trying to just take advantage of their badge and all of that stuff. But if I never had these experiences and all I'm seeing are the police officers on these videos that go viral or, you know, whatever, these movies, et cetera, if that's all that I'm seeing, then in my mind, I'm not trusting them. I'm, I'm going to be on edge when they approach me, et cetera. And so I love what you said, that there needs to be more healthy interactions on both ends. Um, because I think that's a lot of what we're missing. So I think what we're missing 
put, put more rules in place, fine, but let's go to the basic training. Let's talk about the biases that you have, and we all have them. And I think that's what, like, yeah. I really want people to understand, both Black and white, we all have biases black people might have a bias that white people don't season their food like and that's and and until we see one that does it's like this is what I'm carrying with me right it's so funny that you say that too though because like just from my own personal experience I have never had a I all of my encounters with police officers um they have always been white men I have never except for one on my own and this is outside of my husband and his co-workers and friends who are police officers in my own personal I've gotten pulled over I have never encountered a female police officer a black police officer um any other minority police officer they have always been white men mm. it was not until he joined the police department here and um started working that I encountered women other black police officers uh, Asian Latino police officers. I have encountered none of those outside of this small microcosm that I've experienced. And when I talked to Naeem about this, he's like, wow, like, I mean, I am lucky that I get to have coworkers who are also black, who understand me and, you know, communicate and et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I think that if we think about how, what our interactions with police officers look like, I think that we will start to see too that there's also a lack of diversity in policing in general. Mm -hmm. There's a lack of women. There's a lack of black women. There's all of these, there's all of these groups of people that are not represented. There's there's just, there's just so much, um, there's just so many different kinds of people that are missing from policing. And I think that if police departments, in addition to holding police officers accountable and changing laws and rules that allow them to abuse the system, I think in addition to that, being intentional about reflecting their communities, but also having diversity in their police departments. Because if you start to see, you know, imagine, imagine being a young black girl and encountering a black female officer in, in a pleasant encounter, just seeing her, speaking to her, having, you know, just passing her by, you know, just having a pleasant experience like that, you now suddenly see black women can be police officers if they want to. Or for example, um, Naeem is from South Philly. And so when he encounters people from the hood, they're like, oh, you don't know nothing about this. Naeem can get on their level and say Mm -hmm. like, I'm from South Philly, I'm from the hood. Like, Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he can speak to them in a way that they understand, not speak above them, not speak at them. They feel um, like you can relate. With them, yeah. And that can change your attitude, whether it's a negative, whether you're getting arrested or whether it's just a simple human to human encounter with someone who abs- like happens to be a police officer. If you start to see people who reflect you, you are, if you start to see people who are different from you, who are not just white men, you will then also start to think differently about police as well because you see diversity you know and Mm -hmm. so I think there's so many ways that policing can be changed Mm -hmm. Um, but the problem is that in the United States they don't see that there's anything wrong they see that oh it's it's a flawless system the United Mm -hmm. States is great we're we're amazing our country is doing wonderful our you know our, our our police officers are heroes all of these things can be true but they're not true when you have police officers out here killing people, putting their knees on a grown man's neck until he dies. 
thank you so much for sharing your perspective. And again, you know, I do want to reiterate that you are sharing your thoughts as Tiana. You're not speaking on behalf of anybody like you said. So I, I just want to reiterate that again. Um, but thank you for sharing your thoughts um, and your perspective and letting me pick your brain a little bit about this conversation. I want to end on a little bit of a lighter note. And you talked about um, liking to read your poetry books. And we know that you just got your MFA, sis. So what are some of your favorite poetry books or favorite Black poets that you would recommend for somebody reading right now or in general? Okay. Um, Well, I love Patricia Smith. Um, She is a Black woman writer. Um, She talks a lot about family. Um, She talks a lot about family, Black womanhood, Blackness. Um, So I would recommend um, Patricia Smith. I'll recommend three books by her. Um, Blood Dazzler, which is about Hurricane Katrina, which we read in college. Yes, we did read that. Um, Should have been Jimmy Savannah, which is about Black womanhood, um, Black family, um, and also about her parents and how she came to be who she is today. Um, That's actually one of my favorite books of poetry. Um, And then the book that I'm reading by her right now is called Incendiary Art. And um, that one is actually quite triggering for me. So I have to read it in small doses because um, she talks a lot about um, uh, the deaths of Black people, the wrongful deaths of Black people, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of riots. Um, She talks a lot about um, the ways in which America has set fire, literally set fire to Black communities um, and Black homes. Um, Like she talks about... um, the move bombings in Philadelphia, uh, the bombing of Black Wall Street, uh, the bombing in Birmingham at the church in Birmingham. So that one's actually quite relevant to some of the things that we're talking about. Um, A couple other people that um, I'll recommend too um, is Ross Gay. Um, He got his PhD from Temple as well. Um, And he actually has a really wonderful book that's actually not about anything that we're talking about. Um, But since we're leaving it on a positive note, he has a book called The Book of Delights. And what he did was for over a year, he wrote um, small essays. And this is not a book of poetry, but he does have um, a lot of works of poetry. But Um, He writes these short essays every day for, I think it was a year or two years, um, and he talks about things that delight him. And so um, that's something that I've been trying to kind of live by and think about, like, what are things that delight me in my day? And how can I find something positive about the things that are going on, whether it's in the greater world or if it's just in my small world? here at home. So um, The Book of Delights by Ross Gay, um, Patricia Smith um, and her three books, um, Should Have Been Jimmy Savannah, Blood Dazzler, and Incendiary Art. I love that. Well, you'll have to send me some links so I can include it in my um, podcast information when I post this. But thank you so much, friend, for being here, for sharing your perspective, for letting me steal some time out of your day um, (laughs) to talk to us about married life, wedding planning, and then also your experience being a Black woman married to a Black cop right now. So thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And it's kind of crazy, like how we went from like very like lighthearted things to really serious conversation. But thanks so much for having me. And thank you so much for listening. And if I could just leave a message for your listeners, um, you know, if there's anybody out there who is struggling, or if there's especially anyone who is a Black woman married to a Black man who happens to be a police officer. Um, If you need somebody to talk to or if you need someone to just kind of share your thoughts with, um, Brianna is going to give you guys my Instagram um, and you guys can reach out to me 
I'm super responsive and I just think that there should be a little bit of a community of us out there to support each other. So, you know, y'all stay woke, stay black, stay happy, stay safe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I love that. And again, her Instagram is at Philos Tiana. So it's at P-H-I-L-O-S. T-I-A-N-A. I will include it in the podcast notes, but be sure to follow her and definitely, you know, reach out. She just gave you an open invitation. So blow up them DMs, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, friend. Well, I love you and thanks so much for being on the podcast. I love you too. Thanks for having me.